Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 136. Today, we're going to be talking about the jackass movies and uh, low art and high art because we programmed in January all four jackass movies because I don't want to speak for everybody here, but as, as a programmer, I think they're absolutely art. I actually think they're great movies and watching them again with an audience just made me realize a bunch of things. Uh, who is with us today? Uh, what's up? It's Daniel. Hey, gamers. It's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion uh, here once again with the original jackass himself, Edwin Gomez. Yay! <sighs> Hello, America. It's another day, another dollar. Deciding I'm going to watch Superman the movie while this podcast is going on right now. Actually, you're going to decide to give the audience 100%. 100% of the essence this of This is Edwin. a topic you should like, too, Edwin. Yeah. You always bitch about when we do topics you don't like, and now we're doing jackass, and you're still going to f***ing f- around? Come on, oh, man. Oh, no. You made Connor drop F-bombs. It's also kind of a jackass thing to do, so. What do you mean? The jackass guys give 100% to the stunt at the moment. Oh I God. watched it. I was like, these guys are sacrificing for their art. Can I get a bit of clarity? If Superman is on while you do a different activity, do you still log it? Do you still count it as a movie watched? Of course he does. No, not yet. No, no. Because I'm not paying attention to it that much. So, And the volume is off. So I, I'm just looking at images. So, yeah. Honestly, a great way to watch a movie sometimes. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Okay. It's great. And I'm I'm Craig. The founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have everybody here. Edwin, I thought you were going to do a bit where you're going to be like, hey, I'm Edwin Gomez and this is the, you know, whatever oh. jump. Yeah, um, I was too, I'm too lazy right now and I'm sleepy. So, I, and I totally forgot there was a podcast recording today. Yeah, Edwin would be reactive if he was on the Jackass team. I think he'd be like Bam's parents. I don't know how many ideas would come out of Edwin, but I think a lot of great bits could come from Edwin. When you hear this, Secret Movie Clubbers, tonight it is Josh Oakley's birthday tonight, and Josh Oakley programmed, I think, what's going to be a really fascinating double. We are doing Notting Hill. Yes, you heard that right. Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant, one of the Richard Curtises of Four Weddings and a Funeral and About Time and uh, Love, actually, as the writer, and Lover's Rock, which came from Steve McQueen when he did his Small Axe series on Amazon. And the reason that Josh programmed these is because they both take place in the same part of London, but Notting Hill made that part look very white, and actually that part of London is very black, and so Lover's Rock is a corrective to it, but both are romances, so it's perfect for February. And we're going to do a pod about them and movie pairings in a few weeks. And then Saturday, we're doing Hitchcock, Spellbound, which is a fascinating one for a whole bunch of reasons, including a dream sequence designed by Salvador Dali. And Hitchcock's only screwball comedy, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, with Carol Lombard, Robert Montgomery. And we are now expanding to six days a week. So Monday, we are doing Lady and the Tramp and Beauty and the Beast, the animated Disney originals, not the remakes. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we're doing Grease and Dirty Dancing. We think both on 35 millimeter. And then Thursday, we are doing, we know these are both on 35. We've gotten these both confirmed. Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity and Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless. In February, we're calling it the Heart Want series. And we're actually trying to look at love and romance from 360 degrees. So if you're somebody who likes your romance with music and a lot of fun, then maybe Grease and Dirty Dancing is your speed. If you're someone who loves Disney and you want to see the pasta scene or you want to see Belle dance with Beast, then maybe Monday is your scene. If you're somebody who thinks that love is aft and it never works out and everybody who thinks that love can work out is aft in the head, then maybe Double Indemnity and Breathless is your speed. And then Spellbound 
is nutty in the best way, actually. And we're doing a podcast on that as well. Spellbound and romantic thrillers coming up. <sighs> oh, and there's the Edwin Groan, the famed one day Edwin will patent and trademark that. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can look at everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Shortly, as in I hope February, we'll be announcing our Palm Springs 70 millimeter schedule. So stay tuned for that. Or it'll be the first weekend in May. One title I already have pretty locked. And I'm kind of psyched about it, but I'm going to save it. Is it Mad, 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 Mad World? Don't screw me over, man. You screw me over twice already, man. Just give it to me, man. If you play It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, I quit. Whoa, whoa. I'll take that chance. Just do it. I don't care. Secret Movie Clubbers, you hear that? That's drama right there. I'll burn. I have the password to the podcast. I'll burn it all down with me. Connor, that seems extreme to me, but let's uh, see what happens. Stay tuned, Secret Movie Clubbers. The cheat code always is just follow us on Eventbrite because uh, we sell our tickets through Eventbrite. So if you follow us on Eventbrite and we announce something cool, you're going to get a notification. You can get the ticket right away. And some events are moving towards sellout. So uh, definitely, definitely do that. All right, here we go. When we were programming January through March, programming really is a feel. You start to see themes and things feel right, things don't feel right. There's some movies I've wanted to program for two years and I always end up cutting them because they don't feel right for what's happening with the vibe of the season. Something interesting the last two years in a row is that January has become a low art, high art month for Secret Movie Club. I don't know if you guys remember, but January 2022, we devoted it to Adam Sandler. And we did Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, but we also did Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love. And this January, I was just feeling jackass. And then suddenly I was feeling Spike Jones, and Spike Jones is involved in both of them, and it just it felt right. It's a much longer story. I'm going to distill it here. But jackass movies come out of skateboard culture. There was a skater magazine, which was considered the bad boy skater magazine, Big Brother. And Spike Jones was a photographer for it. And the publisher of it was kind of like, forgive this, but he was the Larry Flint of skateboard magazines. In fact, Larry Flint bought Big Brother, which I found really interesting as well. <laughs> but this publisher, he would show skateboarders beat up, bloody. He wanted to run an ad with a kid with a gun in his mouth that said his skateboard and then it said just kill yourself which I think was some kind of riff on Nike and of course no other skateboard magazine would do it and all the skaters love this punk criminal bad boy aesthetic Johnny Knoxville at the time very young we're talking early 90s mid 90s was in a relationship where he and his girlfriend well his girlfriend was pregnant and he had to make money so he went to Big Brother and he said hey I'd like to test a bunch of safety gear on myself and you can publish it as an article they were like that sounds great and then they start to shoot these videos of Johnny Knoxville doing this and then other guys involved with Big Brother like Steve-O and then sort of this crew Bam Majera. am I saying his name right how do you say Bam's last name I think it's Bam Margera Chris Pontius I believe Wee Man was already involved with Big Brother at this point I know Steve-O was a uh, skater from New Mexico oh he was in clown school too Tremaine got in touch with periodic contributor to Big Brother Steve-O who was working as a clown at a local Florida flea market <laughs> and then there's Ryan Dunn and so this whole crew forms weirdly at that moment Lorne Michaels offers Johnny Knoxville the ability to do what he does but just Knoxville because Knoxville is very very good looking and on SNL on Saturday Night Live Spike Jones is involved with the Jackass crew and Spike Jones had just made being John Malkovich and they also pitched this Jackass idea of this crew doing crazy stunts that are a mix of crazy stunts gross out stunts 
and comedy, essentially, to MTV. And like hidden camera, public pranks. Yeah, candid camera, hidden camera. Unlike most famously Bam Majera's parents, um, there comes a crossroads. Knoxville has the opportunity to go to SNL. MTV greenlights what would become Jackass. And this actually, I think, is really key to what we're about to talk about. Knoxville decides to go with MTV because he thinks what makes it magic is the crew, not just him. And as much as he is tempted, you know, that could have been a path to stardom for him in a way. He goes with MTV. He goes with Spike Jones. He goes with the crew, the Jackass crew. The show debuts. This is around 2000, 2001. Becomes MTV's biggest show ever. Runs for three seasons. The guys get beat up, obviously. They kind of can't do this pace anymore. So they stop the show. But then Paramount throws wads of money at them. And Ghost produces the movie because Paramount was part of Viacom, which owns MTV, but they didn't want to have anything to do with the movie in production in case the guys died or got in trouble. So they ghost produced it through a shell production company. They all live. It makes bunches of money. And then Jackass 2 comes out, then Jackass 3. And then just last year, Jackass Forever, there's a lot of drama. The guys grow older. At the time when Jackass came out, it enraged people like Senator Joe Lieberman, who was the vice presidential candidate with Al Gore in 2000, who didn't get it who thought it like signaled the end of culture and like everybody does every generation corrupting the youth blah 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 but kids got it completely and thought it was very funny very clever very entertaining and that there was artistic merit which i think i was a uh, college age when jackass came out i was like a 22 year old 21 22 year old so kind of the age of the jackass guys maybe a little younger i saw it and thought it was art right away and i still feel that like i feel about beavis and butthead and a lot of stuff i think one of the things that elevates jackass especially as it goes on there becomes an almost wholesomeness to it about this camaraderie between these guys because in the show a little bit i remember they were a little more separated out they were filming stuff a little more individually i know bam especially that whole thing came from bam and his buddies including ryan dunn and a bunch of other people they were part of this crew cky uh can't kill yourself which like bam's brother has a band that's called that as well and they kind of got like sectioned on. And I think until the movie, there hadn't really been a lot of meetings between that part of the group. And, you know, that was kind of part of what was really cool about that first movie was seeing them all together. You know, huh, seeing... they're like getting to know each other in a weird way. Yeah, exactly. And you see that develop even more and more over the course of the movies. I think last year when Jackass Forever came out, it came out around the same time, roughly around the same time as The Northmen. My review of one of them was, I forget which one, but it was the Northman boys will be boys. And then in parentheses, negative. And then Jackass forever boys will be boys. And then in parentheses, positive. It is the most sort of positive version of like boys will be boys. Just guys being dudes. One of the things as the Jackass movies go on is not only is it a tale of them aging, but it's also Ryan Dunn dies in a tragic drunk driving accident between three and four, I believe. And then Bam, who is still with us, is not really in forever because he's got mental health and, and drinking issues. Yeah, I hope he can turn it around because that is like the one thing that I feel like forever. We, without Bam, you're not only just losing him, you're also losing his parents and that, that whole like part. Yeah, if people haven't seen, like one of the main segments that Bam does is he just screws with his parents, specifically his dad. In the show, it was more his dad. It would be like him beating up his dad, walking into, you know, his dad's 
while his dad's like on the toilet and just punching him as much as possible. Uh, in the movies, they started, I feel like, messing with the mom a little bit more explicitly. Specifically, there's a bit in the first one where Bam is trying to get her to say the F word on camera. It culminates in they put an alligator in her kitchen, which gets her to say the F word. And yeah, so we're missing Bam. You know, hopefully I know Bam was on like Steve-O's podcast or something recently. So hopefully that means, you know, I don't think it's like a totally burnt bridge. I think it was more a situation where Bam was having a lot of issues and they just didn't think he needed to be there or I hope he can fight his way back. There was a bunch of drama before Forever came out um, where Bam was very negative on the thing as a whole. But then I think in the months after it came out, sort of reversed his opinion on it. And I think it seemed like for the people like Knoxville and stuff, it seemed like a pretty difficult decision to like have to basically tell their friend, you can't do this. Like you're, it's a, it's like a liability thing. You're, you're at a risk for yourself type of thing. And that feels like kind of pure if it was done with that intention. It seemed like Bam maybe before the movie was just sort of like lashing out a little bit to be honest honest but i i have a lot of affection for bam so i hope oh, yeah can... I, I do too isn't it bam who comes up with the idea of that bungee cord jump from the bridge but he just draws a picture and he says like i'm an idea guy but i can't really write it out so it's just a picture of the one guy with wee man and the bungee cord in the water <laughs> it turned out into like a, a great idea preston and wee man say and he gets that great bit i think it's at the end of two he's like super afraid of snakes and so in some of them they'll do a bit where they'll prank him with snakes he gets actually like scared with the snakes and there's this bit at the very very end of the credits of two where he's like stumbling to his car and he's like i hate this i'm so glad i'm almost done with all this i'm so tired of today and then he kind of backs up and he like steps right into like a hole someone dug for him to fell into <laughs> and uh that's how the movie ends i love jackass it came out when i was 10 which is i think it has an all ages power but as a 10 year old in oklahoma it had a transcending power of good and evil and I took to it, as did my brother. We were beyond banned from watching it, and we found every way. I would record VHS copies of it when it was on so that we could watch them in secret when my parents were gone because they couldn't track. You know, they can see if you're watching it at the house, but I was like, oh. Because I, I was a big, um, surprise, surprise, big anime kid, and I would record all the anime on VHS tapes, so then I would do the Jackass tapes, but I wouldn't write Jackass on it. I would write, you know... Dragon Ball Z. My brother and I would would go through them. And then it got a little bit out of control because the context of it, it was the camaraderie, the friendship expanded over into, um, well, we could redo these. And I was already like a video <laughs> kid too. So then we're recreating stuff and then it gets a little bit dicey. And my brother continued that. And when YouTube launched 2005-ish, my brother's initial foray into the online world was just him and his friends basically making their own jackass crew to very violent effect at the detriment of their bodies and it was a pure and beautiful time in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was really into like the skateboard culture stuff around yeah, that era. I was a very bad skateboarder. Same. But I loved skateboarding. Yes. But I had friends who were slightly better than me, but I, and I would videotape them. Oh, absolutely. Being like pretty mediocre at skateboarding. <laughs> I have most of the footage too and it is it's unbelievable. And it, it's so funny cuz it, it does all transcend back into Spike Jones. His music videos and skateboard stuff, like, I was all in. Even though I was so bad at it, I was way too big for the skateboard. I could not, I could barely do it all in. This podcast is, is almost a two-parter, because today we're talking about Jackass, Low Art, High Art, but Spike Jones is part of the Jackass crew, uh, which we can get into in a minute, but uh, next week's podcast is specifically on Spike Jones, and I think skater culture looms large 
in both podcasts. It was so huge in the 80s and the 90s and the aughts and still huge. But skater culture absolutely informs Jackass. And I think for Connor too, like it paired up at this perfect timeline in our lives where this was happening, Tony Hawk's pro skater dropped. So now it was touching out to like gaming culture was sort of coming over. Like it was this perfect, like all types of media were in the skateboard realm and it felt really accessible and like a little bit rebellious, even though you were just not actually doing anything because you couldn't actually skate. But it's beautiful. Can, can you remember anything you did, Daniel? I, I remember one time doing a thing where I forget if I did this or my friend did this, to be perfectly honest, where we had a bike and we attached a red wagon right behind it. And in the red wagon, we put one of those things with like a thousand black cats. We just like <laughs> set that off. I, my, what are black cats? Those little like pop firecrackers you know the ones that go like you like light like 500 of them at once usually my parents driveway still just kind of like downhill slope and so we would uh you know go down that while that was going off one skateboarding related one we used to do is that your friends would they would try and do a trick but we would be blowing like through a fan or something like different types of spices like chili powder or stuff so just get in your eyes and your mouth and they would like it was chaotic that was a fun one and then one of the worst ones we did in the realm of jackass unrelated to skateboarding was we would do um revolutionary war which is where you sear the bottom of a pvc pipe Uh and have it about rifle length and then you light a bottle rocket which i believe were legal in oklahoma at the time maybe they weren't and a bottle rocket has at the top the wick kind of sticks out so you could put it on the edge of the tube and you'd light it and you would stand and you'd get on one knee and then once it lit far (laughs) enough to fall into the tube you and your friend who was across like a field in our case would point it at each other and you'd fire them the goal being to to get each other our solution was if you wear safety goggles and you do it over a pool whether it it was usually like an above ground pool in case you catch it was okay yeah, because you could just jump in the pool. So we'd record a lot of that. Nice. A lot of stuff that I think if my parents saw today would make them very unhappy with me. You bring up a, a really complicated point when we're talking about Jackass, which is Jackass, the TV show and the movie would always begin and end with a very clear disclaimer that these stunts and these ideas, they had been thought out. They were done by professional stunt people that you shouldn't do them. And yet one of the big joys of watching these movies is being like, that does not look safe. (laughs) Like when you watch Jackass, it's not quite the enjoyment of watching a stunt well done. It's watching people take a stunt too far and being like, oh my goodness, like, are they going to live? They must have been aware that their market was largely pre-adolescent, adolescent boys. And obviously there was a liability and there's a beauty to it. But there is something, I guess we can't run away from it. There is something a little dangerous about Jackass. I think, too, they they never shied away from the excruciating pain and injury that came from these. And so I think there was, at least in my, my adolescent brain, a little bit of, like you can get really hurt with this. Like if they got carted away by an ambulance, it was it was on camera. And so I think it at least made it feel real in a way that they could have edited it to be like, oh, this is all fun and funny versus like, actually, this is slightly horrifying too. I wrote that these movies are basically body horror movies. Like sometimes they're very hard to watch, but you can't help it. But they're hard to watch because it's, it's very grotesque stuff sometimes, both in the gross out and just like they're getting mangled by these things that they're doing. The one that really hit me on what you're saying, Daniel, about showing the pain was when Johnny Knoxville boxed Butterbean. Oh, one of my favorite line deliveries of all time. At the end of that, the is Butterbean okay is one of the funniest (laughs) things I've ever seen. They film a lot in the first Jackass in Japan for some reason. They kind (laughs) of do the same thing in the second one with India, though it's not quite as featured in the second one. But in the first one, uh, Knoxville does a bit where him and professional heavyweight boxer Butterbean (laughs) 
go into a department store and fight. And obviously, Butterbean just wipes the floor with Knoxville and really just busts him up. And we actually see afterwards him getting these close-up stitches. I'm sure that's what you were talking about, Craig. What was actually how rocked Knoxville clearly was. Like, Knoxville got concussed. (laughs) Yeah, like, he was not with it when they put the camera in his face afterwards. I didn't put together what you guys said, but the deterrent for me, I, I don't know that I'd ever be tempted to do this kind of thing, but the deterrent was seeing the clear pain, even if those guys got out of it. I'm just being like, I don't yeah. But as as Knoxville is sitting there concussed, bleeding from his head, he asks, is Butterbean okay? <laughs> Which I think kind of proves the thing about the like, there's a weird wholesomeness to it. Uh, I mean, they all do to various degrees, but Knoxville seems like a good dude. You want to be their friend. Like you hope you have a friend group like that. Maybe not in the term of like getting pranks pulled, but like the like genuine brotherhood of it seemed like so appealing. But you were like, wow, these guys love each other and they show it in the weirdest ways. But I'd love to be one of those guys like sean william scott you know where you just kind of show up mm-hmm. he does in the third one and he's just kind of there to the side as they're doing the stuff i don't want to actually or a camera person although those guys throw up a lot well there's the one guy lance who <laughs> has been their camera person the whole time and there's like a bit in every movie where he gets nauseous while he's trying to film i was curious edwin when did jackass come into your life i came across jackass during my days in high school and um I forgot whoever showed it to me, honestly. I, it was probably something I saw on TV. That's that's how I saw Jackass. And uh, I saw the, the censored version. But I ended up going to Amoeba and buying all two movies until I saw the third one in theater with my aunt. Because she took me to go see it in 3D. Did you catch it in 3D? Yeah. I did, okay. I did see it in 3D. It was awesome. Beautiful thing. Maybe the best use of 3D in film we've ever had. Yeah, that's great. Wow, better than Avatar? It finish. I'm sorry. All right, thank you. Like I was saying. Was it better than Avatar, though? What the f***, man? This is an aside, but I think 3D is a gimmick. And so I think that Jackass 3D's use of it as a pure gimmick is great. Sorry, Edwin. Now it's your fault. Yeah, like I was saying. Jackass 3D. When I saw in theaters, there's one bit where I did one of the vomit really bad. And it was a part where he was in the porta potty. And as he was going out with all that on, I'm like, oh god, I like one of the vomit so bad. But referring to what you say, Craig, that how they're high art in high school, we just saw it as um people doing dumbass things and getting hurt. But as he grows to the adult, after seeing the theater, I do see it now because half the things they do are pretty smart. And the one bit, and they do this in all their movies, they go out with a very ridiculous bit, like how Ryan Dunn puts the car up his ass. And then the second one, they... Um, the second one had a musical. Well, no, the se- that- no, the second one ends with the big prank on Aaron. Yeah, oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. that's right, that's right. <laughs> the terrorist taxi. He thinks the prank is that he's going to dress up like a terrorist and prank a taxi guy. But the prank is actually on him because the taxi guy is in it. It's the one of the guys from Broken Lizard, I think. Yeah, Jay Chandiskar. They make it seem like the prank has backfired and the person is actually mad. And then at the same time, there's another level to the prank, which is that the beard that Aaron is wearing <laughs> is made of their uh, all of their pubes. It's perfect, too, because it is such an un-PC joke. But because it is such an in-joke on it, it like comments on itself by being like everything is against Aaron in the end. Like just a raging idiot. Can't believe you agreed to do this type of thing. 
and it's beautiful. Aaron is, that's like a trope in like groups. So I don't think we really have it necessarily. Uh, maybe it's Edwin. Edwin's a little different. Uh -huh. But like you see that where there's like the punching bag in the group, <laughs> kind of, in the comedy group. And that's definitely... Uh, Danger Aaron. That's not Edwin, because Edwin can give as good as he gets. No, I don't think we really have that in, in our dynamic. I vote Daniel. No, vote Daniel. that's fine, because Aaron is the MVP of forever. He's everyone's favorite, and what's their favorite bit that they can remember? My favorite guy is Pontius. I like the way he adds little bits of like reality to whenever he's in a scene like in the third one when they do the king of spring break thing where johnny knoxville jumps a jet ski and he breaks this lattice fence and <laughs> chris pontius is going around like man my dad's gonna be so mad at me for we <laughs> i know we shouldn't have done this at his house he seems very unfazed by stuff which i think is kind of funny and they did a family feud episode for jackass forever <laughs> in all the wide shots you can see Pontius, compared to everybody else who's looking across at everybody, Pontius is like back to the camera looking at the board, clearly heavily invested in trying to figure out what the answers are on the board. And then I think my favorite bit is in the second one, the prank on Wee Man, where he thinks he's getting <laughs> cards thrown into his ass crack, but really he's getting shocked by the stool underneath him, and it takes him so long to figure it out. I wrote down my favorites from each one. And the first one, the golf course air horn is my favorite thesis statement of like jackass as a whole, because it's just the perfect thing. Like it requires zero work and is the most infuriating, beautiful moment. I guess I would say. I think the Butterbean thing is my favorite in that. Two, I think the riot control test is maybe the most deranged piece of cinema that they have. It topples everyone on the crew except Knoxville, which just speaks to, like, whatever's happening with that man. The bees in the limo and the Toro Tato are great. Three, the I can't believe he fell for the soup into Bam's high five moment is, like, some of the hardest things I've ever laughed at. And I think the jet engine is, like, genius. And then the... Silence of the Lambs and Forever is one of the best bits they've ever done, I think. We showed these movies uh, with an audience, and I had this huge revelation. Everybody was laughing the whole time, and there was such a good vibe in the theater, and you couldn't manufacture it. You couldn't fake it. Women were laughing. Men were laughing. People were looking at each other. People were gasping. And it was this reaffirmation of, right, this is cinema. This is movie making. This is why you go to the theater. Everyone's having this experience that's even greater and bigger and more fun and more unbelievable because there's so many people around. That was like a revelation. And then I started to just go, well, I do think Jackass is high art. Why is that? And I was like, well, these stunts are actually very, Edwin said it, but they're very, very clever and smart. I actually think if the stunts were just dumb, like people hitting each other with two by fours and pee and poo and dot, 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 I think it would get old really quickly. But what's actually really interesting is they're all super well thought out. You get them right away. And Spike Jones has been very upfront, as has the other guys, and Knoxville specifically, that they're actually super influenced by Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and silent film comedy and watching what they would do. And you can see that that level of cinematic intelligence which is that the gag, because it's really a cinema of gags, which is that the gag or the uh, stunt has to actually be very clever. You have to get it right away. It's like a joke. You have to get the setup. You have to get the build. 
And then the punchline has to be unexpected in some way. And I, I was like, this is why Jackass is way smarter than people think. It could not be 90 minutes of just, you know, people getting hit in the face and throwing up and whatever. But it's the cleverness of what they all come up with and then what they subject themselves through and their honesty that I think is this secret sauce formula. And it's hard for me to pick a favorite because I think there, there are a lot of interesting ones. I do love Bam's interaction with his folks because I do think there's something funny about the three of them that's also heartwarming that sort of captures what it's like to be in a family. Like when they make a luge run out of the steps in Bam's house. (laughs) That was like, that stuff happens in your house, even if it's not as extreme as a luge run and your dad and mom are like, what are you doing? And you're all like, (laughs) and then the brothers and sisters like run away. I do have to say that that bit where they're doing the seesaw with the bull and all the guys get off except for Knoxville. And then Knoxville gets rocked by that bull. And you see the guys like on the sidelines being like, cut it, cut the bit, like pull him out, pull him out. And you see Knoxville essentially being willing to die or get gored. And you can't really fake that. And there's something about like, you know, he's walking it like he's talking it. Knoxville isn't like a pretty face that's letting the other guys do the tough things. Because Steve-O does a lot of brutal stuff too, like the hook in his mouth. I couldn't believe they did that one. But you watch Knoxville and you're like, no, you know, you got to respect all these guys because they're all doing it. None of them are exempting themselves from that. So I wanted, that's, that's my thoughts on why I love it. Apparently guys skipped on my favorite jackass. I'm just saying. Yeah, let's do that. So it's between two, Steve-O and Chris Pontius. Can I just cheat and say th- those are my two favorites? Because one, they did Wild Boys together, and I love Wild Boys. That's a very unappreciated show where they just f- around with nature. Both guys do the dumbest things ever, and they don't care, especially with Steve-O. Because Steve-O would do whatever the hell he can to just to do something um, painful and dangerous, like the shark bit. Where he puts a hook inside him like, and just goes out. That's That was pretty hardcore. Like I said before, the part where he's in the porta potty. Oh, God, that's just nasty. Why would you do that to yourself? The thing he was most nervous about there was the bungee jump part of it. Sivo apparently gets mostly nervous from like that kind of stuff. I like the little mom. I think they leave in all the moments that make them feel human somehow. I think something also, again, I hope Bam makes his way back. I always like the way Phil and April, Margera, Bam's parents, interact with the others. Yeah. I always find very wholesome where it's like these are their other children. <laughs> But let's let's move on. Low low art, high art. We're pairing that today because uh, Craig already sort of explained that Craig's asleep at the wheel. He's he's fallen asleep while we're recording the podcast. So I'm <laughs> I'm hosting now. For me, this is like my whole thing. I feel like I would imagine most of my favorite movies are things that when they came out were not received well by the upper crust. Your John Carpenter's Halloweens. And now you look at them and it's considered, you know, a classic film. You know, there is this idea of like high culture, low culture. I actually looked into this a little bit of the history of it. Low culture has existed pretty much through all time. You know, there's like old cave drawings. I don't know if this is exactly true, but old cave drawings of like boobs or whatever. (laughs) Everyone's like, haha, this is great. I do reject, not that any of us is claiming this, but if anybody does have some sort of like dismissal of what they see as low culture, it's like, buddy, in 10, 20, 50 years, you're going to be on the wrong side of this. You're going to look like a real Frasier about this. It's kind of a frustrating descriptor. It's the same way I don't particularly love the term guilty pleasure. 
I think you love what you love and it's important to you because it's important to you or it works for you because it works for you. So I think sometimes the classification of it seems to exist only to demean someone else's taste. Well, this would never get an Oscar nomination. Therefore, it is lower art. And I think that's super frustrating because I think the artistry of it is in the intent of kind of the making of it, I guess, to a degree. Like these people love this. It's important to them and they give everything to do it the way any artist does with the work they're passionate about. And there's like a weird politicization of it nowadays especially with western traditionalism or whatever whenever they see something that's like abstract like slightly or not classical or something there's kind of a weird crossover there where it's like high culture and low culture is the same thing jackass forever particularly in in the realm of trying to classify high art low art for a lot of my friends it was sort of the return to theaters for them they had gotten second vaccines had gone out there was a a relative openness to the comfort level of returning to the theater for some of my friends that were hesitant in 2021 specifically the experience was so cool because it had we saw it in amc so it opened with nicole kidman's um now iconic thing which was still new at the time and it's one of the first things i remember where there were screams and and applause for her when she introduced it me and bry saw it at one of the premium formats at amc yeah i think we're were we at the same screening just in different seats we might have been yeah it was like in the amc prime it was like the nice recliner theater then it gets passed on at that time all movies had an introduction by the filmmaker or like the star so johnny knoxville did like an introduction and when you left it felt like you had just seen the best movie like if you know you had seen whatever air quotes high art thing like it was a crowd of people who were like exhausted and they were crying because it was like a really emotional movie and just like that you know when you smile for too long or you laugh for too long and it's sort of like your face kind of hurts and everyone just kind of shared this putrid vile beautiful thing together and it felt like a return to form i think it's kind of a magical thing no you're on mute okay good you didn't hear what i said then never mind uh (laughs) you know um yeah (laughs) people do it shut up craig people doing dumb things uh i consider that art so artistic value you know people getting hurt getting branded in the ass getting a metal dildo shut up their ass snorting wasabi actually no let me take that back that's not art that's his wrong Swimming with sharks with a hook in your mouth, Ooh. getting a leech in your eye, getting hurt while doing a musical, and getting poop in a porta potty. You know what? I consider that art. Let's go, Janice. Let's get a 4K of Blu-rays of uh, all four Jackass movies in a box set. Criterion. Maybe yeah. 20 years from now. You don't know. 10, 20 years from now, there could be a Criterion box set of Jackass. There, there should be, because Spike Jones is a artistic guy and on the criterion so you know spike jones is in the jackass movies in the first one i don't know if we've touched on this he's an old guy who's like on a scooter that goes out of control but whenever it goes out of control he seems to really enjoy it and confuse the good samaritans trying to help him but here's the thing though he never gets hurt that's the one thing he never gets hurt i mean he is part jackass but he's a full-on jackass you just do the dumb things where he doesn't get hurt there's probably an insurance reason to what he can do well he's a co-creator it's him knoxville and jeff tremaine the director he typically does the bits where he uh dresses is made up to look like an old person which he does in two and three as well yeah as a, as a naked old lady in two <laughs> mega disturbing and it's interesting of course like everything to see how the people react and it's funny to see the people who, like, clearly they've seen way worse things because they're nonplussed and they're just like, I think one guy continues to sell things to her even though she's, like, totally <laughs> naked. 
<laughs> and he's like, well, do you want to buy this? It's fruit. <laughs> <laughs> but Edwin, I wanted to ask you a follow-up though. You know, like when people will say jackass is, it's not art or Marvel is not art or Beavis and Butthead is not art. And they're like, it's just going for the lowest common denominator. It's just trying to gross out humor. And then they'll say, but, and I'm not trying to qualitatively separate out these movies, but then they'll say a Martin Scorsese movie is art or Tar with Cate Blanchett is art. When people do that, how do you feel about that? Well, uh, Marvel is not art. That's for sure. I'm sorry, Connor. I have to say that. I'm sorry, Connor. I want you I want you to forget me on this but it's true because one like 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 for instance um oh man Connor's mad of course I know that it, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm just, sworn off this is one of my secret things for this year I'm not having conversations about this anymore somebody tried to drag me into a conversation about Marvel and art online and I said no they're like hey what do you what do you think about whether or not the cinematography of these movies is good and I was like I'm not no comment I don't care I think that part of it is a really boring conversation and annoying at this point. So that's my full comment on that. Thank you, Connor. Uh, anyways, uh, like for instance, uh, Scorsese's any Scorsese movies art, even Jackass can be art. It is also an art just to make people gross out and laugh. That's their art right there. And uh, like the endings to their movies, they put in like a lot of time and budget into those last minute big epic endings. Like part two ends with a musical. And that's like pretty shocking to what they did, but still get hurt at the same time while like shooting like a high frame camera on 35 millimeter and doing all these crazy stunts while doing it. it it's just, you know, amazing to me. They're just art. All of them are. I haven't seen the fourth one yet, but all three are art, especially the third one, which I, I think might be my favorite. I actually find this conversation to be a little more complex than even the setup would lead you to think. One of the things I'm always fascinated by is that many of the works that are categorized as high art in their time often don't age very well. And what's interesting is that the things that are categorized as high art about 10 years or 20 years later actually hit us as pretty pretentious. Uh, you can sort of see there was some something that was the flavor of the month artistically at that time, and this movie did that. And then you see it doesn't quite age as well. And then there are these things that in their time might have been considered, oh, mass entertainments or for whatever reason, dismissed as this, that, and the other. And then over time, people just keep going back to it, going back to it, going back to it. And they slowly become aware, my goodness, there's tremendous artistry in this. And in fact, the artistry is partly obscuring the artistry so that people are really enjoying the thing. And, you know, you can look at like we're still reading Mark Twain 190 years later. Shakespeare. But both Mark Twain and Shakespeare at the time were denigrated as, oh, well, they're writing for the masses or, oh, that's just popular. The hoi polloi. Or Stephen King. Now, that's not to say, I mean, sometimes, you know, an opera, which was high art, is still considered great. I mean, that's not to say, or a, you know, a Beethoven symphony or, or, or a painting or what have you. And by the way, I just want to go on the record. I think Marvel's art. I actually don't understand why people are, ha I think it's a silly debate. And I think the people who are anti-Marvel are really making a big, big mistake. And this is actually my point I want to get at, which is that if something moves people and everybody wants to get together and have that experience, and it brings people a lot of joy. And it's not like a cult where kids are being sacrificed. I mean, let me qualify it with that, where I'm sure they're like cult things that are horrible, like Jonestown. I'm not talking about that. 
But I'm just talking about if everyone comes and has this great communal experience and a lot of joy and they get excited and they love the storytelling, I don't understand why people would make the mistake of bagging on it. You can say, hey, I don't get it. I'm from a different generation. I didn't grow up with this. Maybe I don't understand it. But I find my joy if I don't get something. And I've said this a lot of times before. But like Connor turned me on to, I hope I'm going to say his name right, Neil Cicerega. Now, I happen to love that kind of stuff beforehand, that kind of mashup stuff, but I didn't know about this guy. And I listened to like Neil Cicerega's like Bustin or that thing he does with YMCA and the Inception score. I've just been thinking recently about he he has this remix of that Bare Naked Ladies song one week. And there's this thing he does in the background where he just loops him saying Harrison Ford, like Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford. And it's it's great. I also love TikTok or memes. I'm like, oh, I don't get it. I want to get it. Now, once I get it, I might go, okay, well, that's for me. That's not for me. But I don't put a barrier right away and say, I don't get it. I'm not even going to try to get it. That to me seems like you're beginning to calcify as a human being. And that actually to me seems the death of art. The death of anything truly artistic is when you're not open to other things that you don't completely get and understand artistically. So I, I guess that's sort of where I'm at on all that. I just wanted to say 50 years from now, we'll look back at maybe 2010 and we'll have the Oscar winning film, The King's Speech, which I don't think has been talked about since 2010. And we'll have Jackass 3D. And that's a world we'll have to contend with. All right. Thank you. That was awful. Do you love the King's Speech, Edwin? Uh, never seen it, and uh, don't really care for it. All right, here's an idea. Lab, will you just shut the f*** up? Then? <laughs> How about you go f*** yourself, Daniel? Hey, I'm jumping off a building. Oh, no! <laughs> no! Look, Connor can fly! <laughs> but he's not very good at it. I found this mini that sounds like... Sounds like... <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the MIDI version, like SNES Jackass game. Hey, Secret Movie Clubbers. It's now that time where we talk about pop culture final thoughts. Secret Movie Club team, talk about anything but the topic that uh, we were just talking about. You can take it wherever you want. Speaking of high art, low art, I had two leftover bits. Famously, famously, our last episode about Gene Dealman went long in recording, and I had two leftover bits from that one. One is that I had made a plan. I went through the list of the critics for 2022, and I was like, a lot of these movies I haven't seen, most of those that I haven't seen don't really look like stuff I would like, but there was a handful of movies that I hadn't seen that I was like, I've always wanted to watch this. So I wrote them all down, and I was like, I'm going to watch all of these, and then Best Laid Plans, I watched one of them, which was The Third Man, which I liked, but I was once again disappointed. I'm always like mad when I watch a movie that old, that I, I feel like I'm going to really like, and I don't love it, love it, because I'm always like, I wish I loved a movie this old, but I still don't love a movie that's like older than the 50s, unfortunately. I can't say that I do, but very enjoyable film. And then I was going to do this bit last episode for my unrelated bit at the end of the episode, I was going to say, and speaking of Sight and Sound 2032, I watched Rob Zombie's The Munsters, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings, twitch.tv slash Nerd Hollow. That's actually kind of an ambiguous statement, Connor. Why are your arms tired? What were you doing during the Munsters? I was lifting weights, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I will say there are three movies from 2022 I would say I like less than the Munsters. So 
I'll leave it leave it at. That's the uh, perfect segue into uh, I saw I saw the whale. Oh uh, great. And uh oof, that's my review. And then I also watched Miracle Mile, which I had never seen. I loved it. Like, have not stopped thinking about it. Great flick. Starting Anthony Edwards, uh Steve Dejarnet? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Great movie. Edwin, if you haven't seen it, I think it's a very hey, I think, I think hey, you'd love it. Hey, it's a late hey, night. Hey, hey. hey. What's that? You own it. Have you watched it? Uh, what do you think, man? I, I don't know. I, I literally have no re- frame of reference. Scum, Daniel. Uh, great movie. Yeah, that's that's fair, Edwin. You own a lot of stuff you've never seen. The most important thing I watched, if you're playing catch-up in 2022, and I was very happy to see that Connor agrees based on Letterboxd, was the criminally underseen and under-advertised Confess Fletch, starring John Hamm. A great movie had me cackling. It's just a barrage of one-liners. And I got to be honest, I'm unfamiliar. I saw it as a kid, but I'm unfamiliar with the Chevy Chase Fletch era. And it's unconnected outside of the character. But it is my hidden gem find that I think is very, very good. Grand old time. How John Hamm isn't in more... He's he's a comedy man. I hope they get to make a couple, like another one of these. It seems like it's small enough that they could. There's so many bits that made me laugh. Like Marcia Gayharden has a bit where she's like an Italian and she pronounces uh, Fletch wrong. She says like flesh. She's like flesh. And every time I laugh, maybe I was in the right headspace for it, but man. Edwin. Oh, sorry. I was, I was kind of dozed off by Daniel. Uh, He's disassociating. Oh, Edwin, what is this? You got to, so come on, man. Come on, homie. You got to support your team. I was, Be the wind oh that God. lifts them up. No, okay. That's a fart in Edwin's situation. <laughs> and I don't want that. But take it over to the city one day at a time. Put it up posters, getting posters, because someone doesn't want to get any. Um, but uh, I scored some cool posters. I scored Tightrope, Manhunter, and a movie called Night King, which is a pretty badass poster. And uh, they're all hanging on display of the Los Feliz 3. So you're welcome for that. I'm making a movie still, you know, the last of the greats, you know. I got the uh, people of Whammy to uh, shout it out, you know, give some love, you know, give some uh, some cheese, some money. And I just been told that the Frida is going to post my thing on Thursday. So that is really, really cool. And I love the Frida, even though I've never been. And I really want to go because uh, Michael at CL16mm does his 60mm shows over there, which I still need to go see. But... Other than that, thank you so much. Let's take a road trip down there sometime. Edwin. Yeah, with you. Uh, thank you, thank you, Daniel. Thank you. See, support. I'll support. get you down there. Yeah, you better get me down there. I need to go down there. I like how you're you're signaling Daniel as an example of support when just moments before you were tearing him down. That was a different hey, thing. Hey, forgive was... and forget. I'll yeah. take you to Orange County, Edwin. Yeah, thank you. I want to go to Orange County. Road trip. I'll buy food and I'll bring drugs. Fear, fear and loading in Orange County, baby. I don't know if you want to fear and loathe in Orange County, but that's on you. I got to see Lars von Trier's third series, The Kingdom, and, and that's it. That's That now brings it to a close. If you've never seen season one and season two from the 90s, I think season one and season two are as good as anything he ever did, along with Breaking the Waves. Those are probably my favorite Lars von Trier's. And what was interesting about three, which just came out, is he made season one and season two when I think ostensibly he had spiritual faith. And you can see that in Breaking the Waves and in those movies. And then he very famously, I don't know if lost is the right word. I I don't want to put words or, or slant it one way or the other. But he eventually now is a very confirmed atheist and has been since I think around the time of Dogville, the early 2000s. So the third kingdom is actually how it all resolves is very in keeping with his worldview now 
which is really fascinating considering that the inception of the series began, I think, when his worldview was different. And we were talking about Jackass, but it's also an interesting body of work to see how an artist changes across 20 or 25 years. And I really like Kingdom Part 3. I actually, I don't want this to sound, I liked large parts of it. I found the ending of it and the way it wrapped up very clever, but also not not for me necessarily, not my worldview. But I thought this is still very clever the way he's wrapped it up. And there's a lot of great Lars von Trier style in it and for anybody you could do a lot worse than to invest 15 hours because that's how long it'll take you to see the whole thing each season's about five hours so watch the kingdom it is one of Lars von Trier's lesser known works really fascinating uh, and I highly recommend it even though I prefer the first two seasons to the third I still admire the third season and thought it was very fascinating and an honest representation of an artist's uh grow throughout their lifetime. So there you go. You can check out everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite. Uh, you can email us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Guys, it was wonderful to have you. Next week, podcast 137 will be Being John Malkovich and Spike Jones, the filmmaker, uh, commercial director, music video director, prankster, skate video director. He is a polyglot. And so join us for that. As always, this episode was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Yeah. yeah! Yeah! Give it up for Connor. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> See how Edwin surprises? <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, all right guys. Oh, uh, have man. a great week. I'll see you next week. I love you, family. Man, what a time to be living, huh, guys? Uh-huh. I just, uh, I was listening to a radio thing yesterday, because when I'm in the shower, I'll listen to NPR, I'll out myself, listen to All Things Considered, and I didn't know that Tucker, Carl- Tucker Carlson was on some crusade against the M&Ms. Did you guys know about this? Yeah, yeah. He's, p- he's pissed about the sexy M&Ms. <sighs> What's that he's about? Too, he, well, he's too horny about them. Is yeah. the problem. He's like angry that they're desexifying the M&Ms or something, that they can't wear high heels. Yeah, he yeah. just he, every, every day he goes hubba 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 and he, he, he stamps his foot and his heart beats out of his chest. He goes awooga every time he sees those M&Ms and now the liberals are trying to take that away from him. Wow. I, M&Ms issued like a thing that was like, oh, we're changing, you know, we're doing yeah, this. Yeah, they're caving to these cowards. But actually what I've learned is that it's apparently a marketing tactic that the super, it's for a Super Bowl ad thing and oh. they're not caving that it's going to be a huge bit, a big dunk on cuckold or Cucker Tarleton. Tarleton. <laughs> I think you just a slip, a slip of the tongue, but a beautiful one. I think someone has probably already said that one to be yeah, Cucker. That was a genuine uh, Freudian slip. <laughs>